Father in heaven, more than anything else, we're asking for your presence now. To be here to speak to our hearts. Nothing else can heal the the hurts of our hearts. Nothing else can bear the burdens that we bear but you. So we ask that you would come, that you would speak, that you'd fill us with your love, that you'd fix our eyes on Jesus, and that it would give us inspiration to run the race you've set before us with endurance. Thank you, Father, for coming. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for speaking. In your name I pray. Amen. If you've been paying attention to the headlines lately, it's kind of scary, isn't it? It's kind of terrifying. I mean, that's the entire purpose of what's going on right now, isn't it? Terrorism. It's something that's becoming all too common, and yet it's, it's captivating our attention. It's on the news 24-7. It's, it's the focus of everyone, what a small group of people is doing to terrorize the entire planet. In the past year, in 2014, 32,000 people died as a result of terrorist attacks. But we've seen it just in the past few weeks in a, a, a modern country, Paris, where you see huge attack happening. And just yesterday, Mali, another hotel is attacked and 19 people are killed. It's a time of terror. It's a time where people are trying to strike fear into your hearts and into my heart. I mean, if you've seen some of the videos that ISIS produces, they're pretty terrifying. They, they have videos of of these guys with beards and with suicide vests on and with machine guns and, and they're saying stuff like, next we're going for the White House and we're going to burn down the White House and we're going to go to New York City and, and we're going to let off a suicide bomb there in New York City. And after the Paris attacks, they said, this is just the beginning of a storm that is coming. They want to terrify you. They want you to be scared. They want you to not have any peace at all. It's interesting. A world leader was talking about these attacks and he was giving actually an address to a religious group of people and he began to point to Jesus' sermon in Matthew 24. And he said things like, this is exactly what Jesus had warned us was going to take place in the end. See if you can guess who would say this. Oh, you can guess. Jesus, preaching about the end of the world, contains apocalyptic elements like war, famine, and cosmic catastrophe. He goes on to talk about how natural disasters as well as human-made disasters and wars are fulfilling the prophecies of Matthew 24. And he said the end is probably near, but it's not our time to figure out exactly when the end is, but we need to be prepared for the end. Here you have a religious leader looking at what Jesus has told us and saying, clearly, this is happening. This is taking place among us. Clearly, terror is reigning. That's what Matthew 24 talks about. Let's go to Matthew 24 together. It talks about wars and rumors of war. But interestingly, Jesus says, but don't be afraid when these things take place. 
Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is giving the the disciples the signs of the end. Verse 6, he says, you will hear wars and rumors of war. Verse 7, for nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. And all these are just the beginning of trials. It goes on thing after thing that would take place on this planet as we come down to the end, as we come to the brink of Jesus coming back. But there is one thing that Pope Francis missed. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, I believe, is key to what is taking place in our world today, to the terror that we are seeing today. Verse 12 said, and because what will abound? Because lawlessness, that's anomia, the, the, the not having law is basically the word in Greek. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Because people are neglecting the law. Because they don't pay attention. We've been talking over the past few weeks about the incredible law of God. How he brought it to Moses and he revealed it in all of his glory. He went on Mount Sinai and revealed his, this, this consuming fire on the top of the mountain. And Moses went up into the midst of that to get this beautiful law that revealed the loving character of God. And as he brought that down to the people, they were to follow this so that they too could experience the love of God in their lives. We read back in, uh, let's go to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, we read about the commandments of God and how these interplay with the love of God, just like it's saying here. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3 says, for this is the love of God. That we what? Keep his commandments. This is love that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. If you go back to 1 John 4 and verse 18. It says there is no fear. There's no terror. There's no fear in love. Because perfect love casts. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Friends, we're living in a society where terror is reigning and where there are all kinds of ideas about how are we going to solve this? What walls are we going to build? How are we going to stop these people from hurting us? And everybody is reacting to terror in all the wrong ways. The only answer is Jesus and the love that he has for us. Because there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. And this is why when we go to John chapter 14, Jesus tells his disciples, don't be troubled. John chapter 14 and verse 1, the passage we're going to be looking at, John chapter 14 this morning. Jesus is on the verge of a horrific event. You think about what the Romans tried to do with crucifixion. They set up crosses to terrify people. They filled the hillsides with crosses so that people wouldn't want to rise up in rebellion against them. These were really an act of terrorism by the ruling power. They set up these crosses so there would be this horrific death that would take place and it would terrify other people from even dreaming about following the path of these insurrectionists, these murderers, these criminals. It was an act of terror to put somebody on a cross. It was to terrify people from following that, to to place fear in their hearts so that they would fear the Romans and follow what they asked them to do. 
And Jesus knows that he's on the verge of this taking place. Within 24 hours, he's going to be on the cross. And his disciples are going to be watching this. And what's going to happen to the disciples' hearts? What's going to be the emotion that's in their, their hearts? Naturally, it would be fear. It would be terror. It would be, well, we don't want to do what Jesus did. We don't want to live the life that Jesus lived because look at what happens. Look at the result of that. That's terrifying. We want nothing to do with that. So Jesus says, John 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You believe in God. Believe in me. Even though I'm going to be on this cross and it's going to be a terrifying experience, even though it looks like all hell is breaking loose and like everything is going wrong, like the kingdom of God is not coming, believe in me. Will you believe in me? Verse 2, in my father's house are many mansions. Now the word there for mansions, this is um, from the King James Version, is why we have in the English mansions here. It basically says, in my father's house are many dwelling places, or many rooms. It's not to describe exactly what it's like in heaven, but that there is a place that Jesus is going to prepare for us. It says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I Go to prepare a place for you. It says, don't fix your eyes on all the stuff that's going on here. The Romans are going to try to terrify you. He was looking forward, even in Matthew 24, to the destruction of Jerusalem and all that would take place there. And he knew that if Christians fixed their eyes on world events and what was going on, that it would be terrifying to them. So instead, he said, remember, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is all about friendship with you. Jesus wants to be with you. Jesus wants to be with you for eternity. That is Jesus' goal for your life. And where I go, you know the way. And the, uh, you know and the way you know. Thomas, who was always doubting, said to him, Lord, we do not know the way where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Last week, we talked about how Jesus is everything. Jesus lived that law that God brought down. And in fact, in Romans, 4, Romans 10 verse 4, it says something really challenging to us. It says, but Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. You see, Christ is the very goal. The word there is telos. He's the, the goal, the culmination. Everything came to fruition in Christ. Christ lived out the law. He lived it out perfectly. He loved people like God was trying to say all along that his character was all about. He is the goal of the law. So here, Jesus says, you want to know the way? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus is everything. Like we read last week from Acts of the Apostles, it says, Jesus only, in these words is contained the secret of the life and power that marked the history of the early church. 
Jesus only, when Jesus is everything to us, when he's our focus, when we say we want to live the life that Jesus lived in his strength, we want to love this world the way that he loved it, perfect love will cast out all fear. Jesus only, in these words, is contained the secret of the life and power that marked the history of the early church. So here he tells Thomas, that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. This is really confusing to the disciples. They're they're thinking, I haven't seen the Father. What is Jesus talking about here? And so Philip says what everybody's thinking. Lord, show us the Father and it's, it's sufficient for us. Just show us God. You think about what Philip is asking here. You have the creator of the universe. Now, in grade school, we often make, made colorings or, or different drawings and stuff. Now, that is probably the extent of some of our creative ability. Now, imagine that creation. How could it ever possibly see something that is totally outside of that piece of paper? Does that make any sense? So, If you have the creator of the universe, and we're asking to see the creator, we sometimes picture that God is off in a certain place, and he often displays his glory, and he reveals himself in particular parts of our universe. But you have this vast universe. God created it all. And so God can't be contained inside of it. God can't be fully seen inside of it. But the fullest picture that we have of God is Jesus, because God is Jesus. And Jesus came and he took on human flesh so that we could get a picture of what God looks like. That we could see that God is love and that in him is life. So Jesus responds in verse 9 and says to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Jesus says, you've seen me. You've seen the way I live. You've seen the way I love. You you saw just, just a little while ago, I raised Lazarus from the dead, that I am the resurrection and the life. You've seen me heal lepers. You've seen me heal the blind. You've heard the teachings of love that have come out of my mouth. Don't you see that this is God? That this is the picture of God, that I am God and God is in me. Continues, the words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Jesus says, when I went up on the the, the mount where I I gave the, the sermon on the mount, that wasn't me that was talking to you. That was the Father that was dwelling in me. He was the one doing the talking. And, and all along when I've been sharing these teachings with you, I've been sharing these parables with you, it's been not on my own authority, but it's the Father who's talking to you. You've been listening to the Father. It's, it's His love. So often we try to create this dichotomy where we separate the God of the Old Testament from the God of the New Testament. The other day I was doing a follow-up with our It Is Written Bible studies and I I went to a lady's house and was sharing these studies with her and she said, now wait a second, 
are these going to have verses from the Old Testament? Because th- that's just scary. The Old Testament's scary. And granted, there's some history recorded there that is quite terrifying, but it is all a picture of God. It all reveals God. It, we can't separate God of the Old Testament from Jesus in the New Testament. Another guy's door that I went to recently, he said, well, I'm a New Testament Christian, so you better just tell me about the New Testament. And that's fine. We can find a lot about Jesus. We can find so much of what we need about Jesus in the New Testament, but Jesus is just revealing what all along God wanted us to see in the Old Testament. In fact, in Matthew 7 and verse 12, Jesus says, as you would have others do unto you, do unto them, for this is the law and the prophets. Like, this is everything. Love the people around you. If you have the character of love of God, if you are loving like God is loving, this is what it's all about. That was the purpose of all of that. So Jesus here, he tells them, I'm not speaking on my own. Verse 12, we were just reading, to you I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does the what? Works. So what were his works that he's referring to here? He says, I speak to you, and the words that I speak, I don't speak on my own, but it's the Father dwelling in me who does the works. So what are the works? He's talking about the words that he's speaking, right? He says, these words that I'm speaking to you, these are the works, and it's not me that's doing these works, but it's the Father dwelling in me. Now John talks about the works that Jesus does in other ways, the signs that he did with miracles and things like that, but Jesus is especially talking about the words that Jesus spoke, the teachings that he taught. He's talking about these things he did because the Father was dwelling in him, and these are the works. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. It says, believe me because you've seen how I've loved. You've seen how I've taught, and you know the peace that it brought to your heart as you listened to me share these teachings. As you, as you heard me on the, the mount saying, blessed are the, the poor in spirit, and blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the kingdom. As you heard me teach you these things, you know what it did for you, and you know that you are hearing the voice of the Father. You know, these terrorist groups are terrifying because we don't know how to put a stop to it. Even though, as the United States, we have this huge military I mean, you think about what we have as compared to what ISIS has and these other terrorist groups that have linked themselves together have. They are terrorizing us with suicide vests and AK-47s. We have all kinds of modern technology. We have jets. We have missiles. We have everything you can imagine. We have satellite technology. They don't have any of this stuff, and yet they are somehow terrorizing us. Why? Because they radically believe something. They radically believe that it is their mission from Allah to terrorize us. And that they need to do whatever it takes to kill us. And they're willing to die in the process of telling us, of of terrorizing us. They're willing to do whatever it takes. Their belief is leading them to some incredible things. So how do we counteract that? 
in a world where because lawlessness is increased, because people aren't paying any attention to the, the law of God which reveals the love of God, they're not paying any attention to the way that, that Jesus lived. You think about how Jesus lived and he actually lived out the law. In Luke 4, it tells us that it was his custom to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, actually followed the Sabbath and gave us an example of coming just like you are this morning to worship the Father. Jesus gave us the example after example of of loving others just like God wanted us to love. He gave us the example of putting God first and he challenged people to live the law in their own lives. So we see from Jesus' sign that, that lawlessness being increased would lead to people's hearts growing cold, to their love growing cold. But Jesus gives us the answer here in verse 12. He said, most assuredly I say to you. Now, Jesus does this a few times in John. He says, amen, amen. That's literally what it says in Greek, which means most assuredly I I am promising you, this is, this is so important. You can believe this. I mean, you think about promises we have like John 3.16 that probably many of you have memorized well. It doesn't start with this, most assuredly, this is a promise to you. And yet we know that this is true, right? John 3.16 that says, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not, or, that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might have everlasting life and not perish. Here you have a promise from Jesus that he is making even more sure. He says to them, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me. What is the key there? Belief. Belief. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. This is phenomenal. This is Jesus. This is God in human flesh who's revolutionized the world. You think about people's lives have been forever changed because of the way Jesus lived. And he says, the works that I did, you are going to do them also. Those same things that I have lived out, you are going to do this when you believe in me. This is phenomenal. He goes on to say right after that, And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Wait a second, Jesus. Are you saying that I'm going to do something greater than you? You who walked on water, you who quieted the storms, you who raised Lazarus from the dead, you who raised the the widow's son of Nain from the dead, you you did all these amazing things. I'm going to do more great things than that. What's the key there? He says, uh, you will do greater things than these because I go to the Father. See, Jesus wants to multiply his work. God didn't see it fit that it was, it was enough just to give us the law in the first place. On Mount Sinai, he, he revealed the law to us in this beautiful, glorious experience that Moses had. And Moses came down from the mountain and his face was shining and they they had to have him put a veil over his face. It was an amazing experience when the law was first given. But that wasn't enough. God saw fit to come in human flesh and to actually show us what his amazing loving character is like. And so Jesus came down and he actually lived it out on earth for us. But Jesus says that's not enough. I'm not just coming here to show you what it's like. 
I actually want you to live the same life. I actually want you to love like I have loved. I want you to reveal this loving character of God to the world because you think about it, what makes ISIS so powerful is each and every individual is willing to do whatever it takes because they believe a message. They believe a gospel. It's not really gospel. They believe propaganda about what's going to take place and they're willing to do whatever it takes to live radically to fulfill that mission. And Jesus says, if you believe in me, the works that I do, you're going to do them too. I love what it says in Desire of Ages about this promise. Is page 667. It says the Savior's promise to his disciples is a promise to his church to the end of time. God did not design that his wonderful plan to redeem men should achieve only insignificant results. Sometimes we expect that What we do for God is only going to achieve insignificant things. There's just going to be small things happening. But God wants to do great things. Greater things than even when Jesus was here. All who will go to work. Trusting not in what they themselves can do. But in what God can do for and through them. Will certainly realize the fulfillment of his promise. Greater works than these shall ye do. He declares, because I go to my Father. This promise is sure. This is a a promise that you can take to the bank. Do you believe, John 3.16, that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life? This promise is just as sure as that. In fact, in Ephesians 2.8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, So that anyone should boast. Wait a minute. So if it's not a result of works, this salvation, then then works are not to be a part of it, right? There's not to be any works taking place. The very next verse, verse 10, says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't that amazing? Jesus has a plan for your life like you can only dream of. Jesus has already prepared good works for you. He already has a plan for your life. He already has people for you to love like he loved. He already has people for you to pray for. And they're going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus because of you. You know, this promise is so powerful because it takes it to the smallest common denominator. It takes it to you and me. That's what's so powerful about these terrorist groups is that every one of them is going to do whatever it takes to fulfill the mission. And Jesus is saying, do you believe in me? If you believe in me, this is the one thing that's going to counteract terrorism. If we go back to Matthew 24 and verse 12, I almost can hear Jesus saying, when lawfulness abounds, the love of many will catch fire. When lawfulness abounds, when you're following the law, when you're following what Jesus has for you, when you're allowing Jesus to work in you, to will and to do of his good pleasure, when you believe that he's created you beforehand for good works, which he's already prepared for you, just for you to walk in them, then his love is going to abound. In perfect love, cast out all fear. 
We're living in a time where our society is looking for answers to terrorism. They're wondering, what can we do? Maybe if we screen more people, maybe if we build walls, maybe what are we possibly going to do? And Jesus says, love. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And when they came to him asking him, what is the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says it comes down to love. And when we really love this world like Jesus loved it, not because we have this love inside of us, but because he is filling us with his love. Like John 4.19 said, we love because he first loved us. 1 John 4.19. We love only to the extent that we have experienced the love of Jesus. When we love like that, the world and the terrorism that we're experiencing is going to see the love of Jesus. And that terrorism is going to come to an end. Isn't it powerful, the gospel? So sometimes we think about, well, yeah, Jesus saved me. And yeah, the, the power of the cross is great. But now I have to figure out a way to, to work out and, and to, to do these things in order to live for God. And Jesus is saying, keep believing in me. Like it says in 1 John, in the same way that you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Just like you believed that I died for you, believe that I have prepared good works for you. Not just for Heidi, our our cross trainer. Not just for the pastor. Not just for the elders to do. I have prepared a good work for you to do. And I want for you to accomplish this work for my kingdom. I love what it says in Christ's Object Lessons, page 327. It says, not more surely is the place prepared for us in the heavenly mansions. That's what Jesus said. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven. Not more surely is it placed in the heavenly mansions. Then is the special place designated on earth where we are to work for God. God has a mission for you in this community, in this church. He has a mission for you to fulfill. And if you're not experiencing it, why not start today? Why not say, Jesus, I know that you've saved me. I I know that I can believe in you and I can have salvation. And you've also promised me that if I believe in you, the works that you did, I'm going to do also. And so I believe it. And I want you to love this world through me. I was about eight or nine years old when I had a terrifying experience. I would ride my bike down the road, and my mom would let me ride. We lived out in the country in Pennsylvania. My mom would let me ride to the end of the road, and there was a church, a Lutheran church there, that I would ride around in the parking lot, and then I would come back home. And it was probably, as a little kid, it felt like a long distance, but maybe a quarter mile down this road. I'm not sure how far it was. But I remember riding down this road that day, and I was riding around the church, and there was... Uh, some kids who were probably 13, 14, 15, they looked like big kids to me when I was eight or nine years old, that lived on the corner next to the church. And I remember watching as they were coming out of the house, and then they were kind of pointing at me, and then they were going to get their bikes, and I thought, I better go home. So I remember I was riding as fast as I could, and I had to ride in front of their house in order to get to my house. And as I'm riding along, they begin to come out. 
And they're, they're following me and they're saying things, they're shouting things at me. And this was terrifying to my eight-year-old heart. I said, I got to get home as fast as I can. So I'm pedaling, I'm pedaling, I'm looking over my shoulder. I'm just get, trying to get home as fast as I possibly can. Thankfully, I just barely make it home. They're not, they didn't make it to my house yet. So I run inside my house. And what I should have done was run straight to my mom and said, Mom, I've got a problem. But instead, I ran to my bedroom. I went under my bed, and under my bed, I hid, had, had hidden the biggest knife that I had found as a little kid. And I remember pulling that knife out, and I remember running to the front door, and going outside and sitting down on the steps. And as I sat there on the steps, I just was feeling the sharpness of my knife blade. Just sitting there, and, and here they came riding up on their bikes, and they looked at me. They saw me just holding this knife. Friends, that's how we often try to deal with terrorists. When people are trying to scare us, we try to react. When that person at work tries to get under our skin, we tend to let them get under our skin. We tend to let them have it. When we recognize that somebody is wrong, we tend to let them know. And oftentimes in the process of being right, I've recognized that I'm all too wrong. So often, when I tell somebody something, I do it without a Christ-like character. But Jesus wants us to radically love this world. He wants us to respond to terrorism with love. Because perfect love casts out all fear. I'm not saying anything political as far as what we're to do as far as supporting our government. I'm thankful for our government, and we're just told that we are to pray for our government. But for you and me... And the terrorism that we face on a daily basis, that that terrorist in our family, the one who's always causing problems at Thanksgiving, love them. (laughs) Jesus calls us to love them. Those terrorists at work who always make us have a terrible day, Jesus is calling us to love them. That terrorist neighbor who's always giving our kids a hard time or who's always calling together uh, neighborhood watches that, that claim that we're causing all kinds of problems in the neighborhood. God's calling us to love them. He's calling us to bake cookies for them this Thanksgiving and to, to take them to them. He's calling us to put others before ourselves and to radically love because that's the only thing that's going to change this world. We're living in a time where the world radically needs to see God's love. And God has promised that that's going to take place. In Revelation 14 and verse 6, it tells about in the end that there would come a first angel who would be flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to every nation, tribe, and tongue, and people, and that he will say, fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come. How do we give God glory? There's lots of different ways, but look with me at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16 reveals how we can give glory to God. Jesus is speaking in that Sermon on the Mount. And remember, when you're listening to Jesus speak, when you're reading the red letters, I'm thankful Bibles have red letters because I do appreciate what Jesus said. But it doesn't make it different from what God said because it is the voice of the Father speaking. That's what Jesus has told us because they are one. Matthew 5 and verse 16, it says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
Jesus says, believe in me and the works that I do, you will do. He says, let your light shine by good works. Let the world see that I really came. By your good works, you will glorify. You'll bring glory to your Father in heaven. That's what we're called to do in this final generation. When Jesus is on the verge of coming back, Jesus is looking for people who will radically love the world around him. Are we going to do it? Are we going to love this world? Are we going to let terror reign? Are we going to let fear reign? Look at what it goes on to say right after that. Jesus says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. He says, Don't you get that lawlessness leads to love growing cold, but lawfulness leads to love-filled hearts. Jesus wants for us to live radically in the times that we're living. And we see this taking place with the disciples. Here, Jesus had given them this message. He told them not to let their hearts be troubled. He told them that when they believed in him, the works that he did, they would do also. Let's go back to John 14 real quick before we look at a a final closing story. In John 14, Jesus goes on to specifically relate love to the commandments of God. Verse 13 says, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Here's another way to bring glory to God. That is by asking God to work these works. This is the context of when he's saying to ask God to do these things. He said, If you believe in me, the works that I do, you'll do. And ask the Father anything in my name, and he will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Answers to prayer, like about KPRL, or about Colleen and her stopping bleeding. These things bring glory to God when we share these things. If you ask anything, verse 14, in my name, I will do it. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, it's really in a future tense there, you will keep my commandments. When you really love me, when it's all about loving Jesus, you're going to naturally keep my commandments. You're going to do the works that I have done. In verse 16, so this is the result of loving him, following his commandments. It says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus says, when you love me and you keep my commandments, then I myself will pray. We pray so much for the Holy Spirit, but he says, I will pray the Father. I will ask the Father to send you another helper, and he's going to send this helper, and he will give you the power to live the life because he's another helper. He's the spirit of truth. And then he goes on to promise this incredible promise in verse 25. It says, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. You wonder, well, how could I ever share with my neighbor about the love of God when I don't don't feel like I have a good enough grasp yet. I need to study a lot more. Yes, we do need to study. But all those things that we have studied, he promises to bring those to our, to teach us. And then it also goes on to say, to bring these things to our remembrance. And bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Then verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. 
Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Refuse to be terrorized. Refuse to allow this world to strike fear in your hearts. Instead, pray for the Holy Spirit. Believe that I want you to live this life of love. And I will give you peace that the world cannot understand. And in the times we're living in, what more do people need than to see that you are at peace? When your, your friends are telling you, man, have you seen what's going on in the headlines? This is terrifying. I'm so scared. You can say, yeah, it is terrible what's going on. But when we trust in God, we can know that he's going to protect us. We can trust that, that he's going to see us through. We can trust that, that even though this life may bring pain, it may bring suffering, and it may bring death, that ultimately he's coming back so that we can be with him forever. In Acts chapter 4, we find the disciples, these same disciples who were scared to death, who Jesus keeps telling them, don't be troubled, please don't be troubled. These disciples who at the cross, they ran away from Christ. Peter who denied Christ at the trial. They had spent time in prayer and they had received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed they taught, that they taught the people and preached Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Here you have some terrorists. They're looking at Peter and John. They're like, we have to stop them from preaching Jesus. And so we're going to terrify them. We're going to place fear in their hearts. However, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. They gathered together to put this intimidating council to scare Peter and John out of this mission of proclaiming Jesus. But Peter, in verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if this, we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter says, look, we can't do anything else because Jesus is everything. You may be telling us not to preach Jesus, but Jesus healed this man. Jesus is why we're here standing before you. Jesus is everything. Jesus only. This was the power of the early church. So it goes on to say in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Peter and John. who had den- Peter had denied Christ. And they, they had recognized that they were cowering disciples before. And they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. So often we use excuses for why we can't possibly do this work for God. Well, I didn't go to the seminary. I didn't go to to Bible school. I didn't learn these things. I can't share. 
Peter and John were uneducated and untrained men. When they perceived this, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Do you want to touch this world? Do you want to love this world? What it takes is to be with Jesus. God is calling us to love so that love can cast out fear. He's calling us to live a lawful life so that in his strength, love can fill the hearts of those around us. So I want to invite you to make a commitment to take time to be with Jesus. I want to invite you to love the people around you radically, to love those terrorists in your life because that is the only thing that's going to stop terrorism and that's to radically love. As you leave today, we want to share a gift with you, a book called Sharing Your Faith. Maybe you feel like you need some more tools, ways to be more equipped to share your faith. As you go out, if you'd like one of these, you're welcome to have them. They'll be at both doors as you're going out. But more than anything else, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that will enable you to work the works that Jesus has worked. Do you want to love this world the way he loved it? I want to invite you uh, to prayerfully consider this as we listen to a special music to close. Father, in the name of Jesus, that's what we want. We believe, help our unbelief. We believe that you want to work in us, that you want to enable us to do the works which Jesus has done. We want to love this world like you loved it. We want to see terror come to an end. Father, give us the boldness of Peter and John as we take the time each day to be loved by you so that we can love because you have first loved us. Father, give us boldness this holiday season to love the unlovable people around us, to treat them the way that we want to be treated so that we can fulfill the law and the prophets. Father, please pour out your Holy Spirit on us for Jesus' sake and for your eternal glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.